And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. All right, friends, thank you so much for coming back to join us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. My name is Lauren Conaway. I'm founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, and I just want to float a happy little reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably, and we just love them so much. So today, we have with us Wendy Freeman, and she is founder and CEO of Be Bright Events. Uh, We're going to hear a lot about her entrepreneurial journey. We're going to talk about events in the time of COVID. We're going to talk about all kinds of neat stuff. But Wendy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Me too. Me too. We are, uh, we, we are good to go. We were having a good little conversation before we started. So I, I'm excited to see where this goes. So, so let's go ahead and get right to it. Um, tell me, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do, why you do it, and how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So I predominantly, you know, I own Be Bright Events, which is a boutique event planning, consulting, and coaching and execution company. So from strategy all the way to execution when it comes to in-person or live uh, virtual events. And really, you know, I've been in the event space for my entire life. I mean, from planning birthday parties to youth group things to high school things and sorority and then, you know, engagement parties, baby showers, all sorts of things. And when I was in college, I realized that, I mean, I I knew that I love planning events, but I realized that I could actually make money doing that. So, you know, I I got a marketing degree and I went out into the corporate world and began event planning in the corporate space for about 15 years before I finally left to start my own business. And that kind of brings me into the why I do what I do. And, you know, I love planning events and all of the events that I was planning were very predominantly for technology companies and helping their customers leverage their technology the best. So making their jobs easier, rising them up as a hero in their organization because of what they're able to accomplish with the various technologies. And while I love planning the events and technology conferences are super fun because you have a massive budget and you can create just amazing experiences in the room, at the end of the day, I was not fulfilled. You know, I had done all the things that society tells you to do. You know, I went to college, I got married, that didn't exactly work out. I had a kid, I traveled, I worked my way up the corporate ladder. Like I did all of the things and I still wasn't happy. And so I really started down this deep personal growth journey in 2018. I made it the year of me and I committed to traveling one time, at least one time a month by myself. And that was where just, I gained so much clarity in realizing that what was missing was that I wasn't fulfilled. I was lacking purpose in my life. And so that's when I 
really at this point, I didn't know that I was going to start my business doing what I'm doing. But throughout that journey, I realized that, you know, personal growth and development has been a huge part of my life in the last five or six years. And I was actually at an event where I realized like I'm planning the wrong types of events. That's why I'm not fulfilled anymore. And so I realized like these are the types of events that I should be planning. And so that's where Be Bright Events was born to really help purpose-driven, mission-focused entrepreneurs launch incredible experiential events that create the space to inspire change and enrich people's lives. And so that's really how I came to do what I'm doing was, you know, everybody says, find what you're good at and make money doing it. But at the same time, find what you love. And so I married those two together. I'm great at planning events. I love planning events. Personal growth is such an important part of my life. So I just married those two together to create my business. Amazing. Well, so, so let's let's walk it back a little bit for clarity here. When you say mission-driven entrepreneurship, what do you mean by that? So think about, you know, entrepreneurs or organizations, nonprofits, people who their legacy, their primary purpose is to make a difference in life. So think about maybe life coaches or uh, philanthropic organizations or, um, you know, people that are, are training on mindset and uh, personal growth, personal development. I mean, I, a lot of my, a lot of my clients are life coaches in some form or fashion. So think Tony Robbins on a smaller scale. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs that have masterminds in helping other entrepreneurs to build their business. So anybody who really, it, it goes beyond just the business. They have that service, service focused heart that their goal is to help others. Gotcha. Well, and, and, and so what I feel, I, I find it really interesting that by serving mission-driven people and organizations, you yourself are, are mission-driven as well. Um, that's really cool. Where do you think that came from? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it came from just the fact that I was just so unfulfilled and where I found that joy and where I was able to make that massive pivot in my life was from these mission-driven entrepreneurs. They had such a drastic impact in my life that I wanted to be able to give back to them. And I felt at the time that I didn't have this, you know, I love being at events and seeing people stand up with their aha moments or their breakthrough moments and just hearing how the different events have impacted them. And I had attended so many of them where I saw the host or, you know, where I saw the host of the event running around or somebody from the hotel coming in being like, I need you to sign this. And I was just like, this is not right. They are here to serve their attendees and they can't, they can't be 100% present when they're trying to run the behind the scenes stuff to make sure that the lighting is working to make sure that, you know, the food is brought out at the right time. If, if you're off schedule a little bit, who's going to communicate that? So I just wanted to be able to hold space for them so that they can hold space for others. Sure. Well, so can I tell you that as you're talking, I'm just so so I, I have spent a significant portion of my career in in marketing and operations, and with that comes a lot of event planning. So when you're talking about like, being at an event and you know running around, like you're basically putting out fires. 
right? When when, when you're there, like on day of, like that's kind of your role to make sure that everything is orchestrated and executed smoothly. And that even because inevitably, there are always going to be crazy things that happen on the back end, but that that never reflects the attendees, right? Exactly. It doesn't reflect to the attendees. And the host doesn't need to know about that until the event is over. So I always write like my work for the most part is done leading up to the event. I am building the train track and orchestrating the train. When I'm on site, my job is to make sure that that train stays on the tracks. And like you said, at events, there's, you know, part of a successful event planner strategy is always having contingency plans so that if and when the train does derail, you can get it back on as quickly as possible and nobody knows. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, it's pretty much inevitable. Like, I don't think I've ever worked an event that didn't have something happen, you know, to, to different degrees, of course. I mean, I, I've experienced train wreck events in my career and I've experienced events, you know, that went pretty well, but just had a couple. Right. There's problems. always going to be something. You cannot get that many people in a room and expect everything to go according to plan. There, something will come up every single time. And it's about being able to be calm and collected in that moment, not allow that to throw you off your center so that you can just handle it, get through it and get the show back on. Right. Well, and not only that, you you also have to pull from depth of experience. I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the more practiced event planners and managers, they, they're so good at what they do because they're, they're unfazed because they've already experienced this before. Um, and, and so they, they're just able to kind of pull from their bag of tricks. I've, I, I've always loved seeing that, like events that are executed really impeccably well. Um, that's always really impressive to me. So, so I want to ask you a little bit more about that because I think it takes a very special kind of person to plan and execute on events just, just for that very reason. Like you have to be able to center yourself. You have to be able to think very quickly on your feet. You always have, you you always have to view everything through the lens of service. Mm -hmm. How can I enhance this experience for the people who are here in this room. Um, so, so talk a little bit about that. What, what is it about you and what is it that is in you that makes you a really great event manager? That's a great question. And I actually have, that question comes up a lot more frequently than it used to. I think, especially now in the virtual space, cause everybody's like, yeah, I do virtual events. And I think, I think one of the biggest differentiators for me is that because I am an event junkie on my own, like I love going to conferences, I love going to events, I am able to marry the attendee experience with the planner side. Whereas a lot of planners, they're just planners, they're order takers, their client says, I want this, this, and this, and they are the project manager that's gonna make that happen. But for me, I really bring, I break it down. I think about it as if I were an attendee at that event, how would that affect me? And at the same time, like, what is the strategy for that? Why do you want to do that? What is, how is that going to serve you? How is that going to serve your attendees? And is that necessarily the best way to accomplish that goal? Because a lot of times, you know, it's just a, it's a very black or white idea that, you know, I've seen this done before. I want to do this, but with my experience, I'm able to say, okay, well, we can accomplish that same goal by doing it this way, this way, or this way, which way feels the best for you? Which way do you think your attendees are going to resonate the most. Um, so I really think that my just vast experience of, if you could see my office, you would see like all the different name badges hanging all over the place. 
Um, and so I think that just my experience as an attendee for so many years translates into a different level of service that I'm able to bring to my clients. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. So, so tell me, tell me this, if you were talking to a brand spanking new event planner, manager, someone who had just entered the industry, what would you tell it? What advice would you give them on creating and crafting a fantastic, just a really kick-ass experience and an event every single time? Like what, what is that, that secret sauce that you need every time? I mean, the, Honestly, it's, and it's, it's simple and it's strategy. Like success starts with strategy. So many people, I find the biggest mistake that, that planners are making and event hosts are making is it's like, all right, I'm going to put together this event. I'm going to secure some speakers. And then they try to tie it all together without having that clear strategy in place first. So you have to be crystal clear on who is your target audience and Paring that down, you know, if I were doing an event on fitness, I wouldn't just say it's a fitness event. I'm going to say this is an event that is targeting runners specifically. And then what is the common problem or challenge that they are running into? And how is your event going to help solve that problem or fast track their success or make it easier for them to overcome whatever that obstacle is? And once you're clear on that, then I reverse engineer everything. So you have that overarching vision of what your event is, who it's going to help, how it's going to help them. Then you can break it down into logical segments. And so my, the biggest takeaway that I, or, you know, one of the biggest things that I've done that has drastically changed the way I do business is I reverse engineer everything. So I make my timeline and I start four weeks after the event is over and I reverse engineer the whole thing. So it's not a matter of, I find so many people are like, oh, I have to secure speakers. I have to secure speakers. Then they secure their speakers. Like, oh gosh, now I have to promote the speakers. Now I have to promote the speakers. And there's so many moving pieces of an event and they're always, you know, it's not like first you do the, the number one, then you do number two. It's like, you have to do number one, two, and three while you're also consistently working on four five and six. And then everything happens in step seven. So without having a clear checklist of every single thing that has to be accomplished, things are going to slip through the cracks. You're not going to give 100% into everything because it becomes analysis paralysis. You're not sure where to start or you're starting, you go down this rabbit hole and something else falls off the radar. So I think, I mean, aside from, you know, the common things, which was, which I would say, you know, you always have to have contingency plans. You have to have a B, C, and D plan. You have to practice. You have to make sure your messaging is honed in you know, understanding the best way to allocate your budget, all of just the common or what I think are common things that go into event planning. I think the biggest mistake are people not starting with strategy and just kind of going day by day without having a clear checklist of deliverables and timelines and things that have to get accomplished and knowing what their predecessors are, right? I can't do number eight until I get number six from my client. So making sure that I'm also project managing, that I'm receiving what I need when I need it to keep the timeline on schedule. Right. Well, and, and I love 
what you said or the nod that you gave to figuring out who your audience really is. Cause really what you're talking about is, is user personas, like, you know, human centered design, starting with the, the who before you get to the why and the, or before you get to the how. And so I, I'm curious about that. So when you are working with the internal events team or the internal team that is helping to craft this event with you because I'm I'm assuming that it's a very collaborative process just knowing that that's kind of how it works um how do you work with these teams to determine exactly who you're serving like when you say that this event is for runners you know this this event is for runners between these ages this is our key demo what what does that process look like yeah, so you know, with I actually have an entire workbook that I crafted that is determining your it's it's kind of like the getting started to your event. It's before <laughs> the even conceptualized. So some of my clients, they're totally like, Yeah, give it to me. I'm gonna work through it with my team. We're gonna get, you know, around a table and we're gonna do that and then we'll come back and discuss. Other times it's me sitting there helping because a lot of my clients, they are solopreneurs. And so I'm very, very much become more than just their planner. And I become an extension of their team. And so we work through those things. And I have a list of questions that really are thought provoking questions that, you know, they might not otherwise think about like your target audience. They say runners. Okay. What books are they reading? Who are they following on social media? Where are they hanging out in social media? What, you know, what types of events do they go to? What other competing events, you know, who are your competitors and what do their events look like? So asking those kind of like thought provoking questions that dig a little bit deeper is really, I think the beginning of it, because so many people, what I'm finding is they're like, oh yeah, I've done this. I help so-and-so, 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 you know, they have their, their classic, I help statement. And for events, especially now in the virtual space, you have to dig even deep. You have to niche down even further. Everybody, I'm finding that a lot of people, they want to serve everybody. And you're actually doing a disjustice when you're doing that because your content, it becomes content, but it's not contextual. You have to marry the content and the context together. And, and you can't do that until you are crystal clear. So back to your question of how we actually do that. They're very intentional questions. I mean, and a lot of this I've learned from my own life coaches and other events that, you know, it's not a, a yes or no question because we all have the answers to those questions inside of us. It's just a matter of being asked in the right way to bring that answer to the top. So they're very intentional questions that walk through getting the answers. And then once those answers are there, then putting on my marketing hat to really hone in on what's the best way to communicate this that's going to resonate with that audience. Right. Well, so, so I love that. And I think that you've, I mean, clearly you are an expert at this and you have really hit on the, the heart of, of where to start and how to, to craft a really fantastic experience. I love it. So, so you, you referenced, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to refer to the elephant in the room here, <laughs> but you know, we are experiencing event planners, managers, executors are, are experiencing what I'm sure has to be a very um, stressful and kind of a, a wild west sort of time with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. And you're seeing changes. Um, I, I have to imagine that you're seeing changes. So talk a little 
bit about that. Like what, what has that looked like for you, for your clients? Uh, how are you moving forward? Yeah. So that's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, nobody obviously expected this to happen or last as long as it has lasted. I'm one of those people that, you know, I try to find the beauty in everything. Everything happens for a reason. What can I learn from this? Why, how is this serving me? So for me, I'm not, you know, there was definitely a dark period of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? My entire business is in-person events. And I literally just had that taken away from me. Um, With the entrepreneurial mindset, like that's, that, okay, so now what, right? Like you have to, that famous word that everybody's using, you have to pivot. Um, I was very fortunate in the fact that I had 15 years of planning events for technology companies. So virtual events was not out of my, I mean, most of my events were in-person events, but there was a lot of, you know, supporting events that we did virtually. So I had that technology background. So it was a natural pivot for me. The first thing that I did personally was I made a complete shortcut for the entrepreneur who wants to host their own virtual event. What I found at the beginning was that everybody was in a very, and I don't want to say everybody, but the majority of people were in a very scarcity mindset, scarcity with time, scarcity with money. I mean, scarcity with everything. So, and, and they were, you know, organizations and entrepreneurs were in the same place. Their traditional ways of making money and reaching their target audience were also in a lot of cases, just, you know, just, just ripped away from them. And so everybody, I say everybody, I I keep saying everybody, I don't mean to generalize, but the majority of people jumped onto the virtual event you know, bandwagon rather quickly because it is a great way to reach an even larger group of people. It's less expensive that can be less expensive than an in-person event. And for a lot of people that had never hosted an event, it's the perfect opportunity to kind of dip their toe in and begin to lay the foundation so that when in-person events return, it's okay. I've already been successful with this. I already have a plan. Now, how do we just transition this virtual into in-person? So I kind of did the opposite. I made a workbook that allowed them to purchase this workbook. It walks you through every single thing you could ever need from getting started to the goal setting, to everything we talked about, about, you know, um, defining your audience, your goal, naming your event, all of those things into securing speakers, securing sponsors, How do you go after them? How do you identify them? How do you pitch them? What should the pitch look like? Into marketing, into your registration page, into the actual technology and creating an engaging experience. So that was kind of the first thing that I did, which really I now can look back. And I did that from a place of service because I knew I I attended so many events that were just flopping. It was just death by PowerPoint. It was almost webinar after webinar after webinar. There was no engagement. And all of the things that I love about in-person events were completely lacking. And a lot of it was because these people, I'm so, I'm so happy that they took that step. They didn't worry about the how they were like, I'm committed. I'm going to do this and I'm going to host this event, but how can they make it better without necessarily having the investment of hiring a planner or a strategist to get them through it? So that was the first thing that I did. And it was, you know, it, it, it was great because not only did it allow me to serve and provide people with a resource but it also took all of my knowledge and like consolidated it into this one clear roadmap protocol of how to do events, which has now enabled me to, when I'm working with my coaching clients or with my, my full service clients to really just have a definitive plan to go by. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I definitely had my, my dark period for sure of the, you know, the freak out, what am I going to do? Like everybody did. But I think that in the, those first two months, I think I, I honestly worked harder than I did when I first launched my business. And as a planner, it was really tough because as a planner, I am a proactive person. I don't act reactively unless I have to. But in this case, it was a no, you, you have to be reactive. This just happened. You have to keep your business running. What are you going to do? I committed to doing it and I just, I figured it out as I went. Um, now, you know, I'm able to look back and like, it's created this amazing opportunity because I never had any intentions of running virtual events. Like it was always just in-person events. And now my business is doing better now than it was before the onset of COVID because I'm able to, I'm able to serve so many more clients. I can have five events going on in one week. Whereas in any other case, you know, I might be at one event, somebody from my team might be at another event. But just the the time with the travel and the being on site, you know, you're not able to. So I'm able to serve a lot more people. And at the end of the day, it's so fulfilling for me because there are people who have a message and a mission that we're not sharing it. And now because of the virtual space, they are. So even more lives are being impacted, which at the end of the day is why I started this business is for me to be behind the scenes, making that secondhand indirect impact. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I struggled with most because, because innovate her KC, we, we do a lot of events. Um, One of the things that I struggled with most at the onset of COVID-19, when we had to pivot to virtual events, a lot of what we do was already virtual. And so it wasn't a difficult pivot, but one of the things that I love about in-person events is how immersive they are. And so when I say that, you know, when, when I was, when I had my event planning hat on, you know, I, I would look at it from the perspective of appealing to all of the senses. Like when someone walks into a room and, and, and I would drill with my team, you know, this is what, uh, when somebody walks into the room, what exactly is their experience going to be all the way from registration, getting your name tag, walking into the room, the aha moment where you enter the room, you know, the, the music that's playing and, and we would do checklists where we would try to figure out, okay, how can we appeal to all of the senses? What are they going to hear when they come in? Are we going to have peppy music to get everybody, you know, up and talking? Are we going to, you know, we, we used to have, um, that I can't remember what they're called, but like those oil, like diffuser, Mm -hmm. decanter thing. You know, what are they going to smell when they walk into the room? Is it going to be, you know, something uplifting to get the energy up? You know, just looking at it through that lens. And when you're dealing with virtual events, you don't have that. And you are fundamentally at war sometimes with, you know, the kids in the background or the dog who's barking at the mailman or (laughs) the, the email that just won't wait um, and, and, and so I found that really, really difficult because when you really, when you have an event, you kind of have a captive audience, but in the virtual realm, it's a little different. You can't control those kinds of factors. So ha- have you found that to be difficult? Have you, what are some real tactical things that you can do to kind of craft an experience virtually? Well, first of all, I love that you approach it from that intentional 
aspect because so many people, they don't think about that. All they think about is what is my stage going to look like? Who's going to be on it? How much are tickets going to be? And what are we serving? Right? So I love that you approach it from that ta- from that intentional angle. And, and that's exactly what I first, like that was the first thing that I did when I pivoted to virtual was I made a list of what are all of the things of an in-person event that I love that make that in-person event an experience. Cause that is, that is like my, for me, I mean, even when I told you like my, my, I help statement is, you know, incredible experiential events. And then thinking outside of the box of how do you take those experiences, those um, components and transition them to virtual, which it definitely is challenging. I mean, you know, how do you appeal to somebody's, you know, sense of smell unless you're sending them a candle or a diffuser or aromatherapy roller or something like that. Um, And what what I found is that, you know, when you're thinking about in-person events versus virtual, 80% of it is exactly the same. The difference is that 20% that is tech and touch. And, you know, when I say touch, that's, I'm, I'm speaking all of the senses. And so the easiest thing to do is to create that community, to create that engagement. So it doesn't feel like you were just sitting behind a screen watching a webinar. You know, it's very, in what, in what world in an in-person event, would you be able to be 18 inches away from the speaker? That, that usually doesn't happen. And so with virtual, you have the capability to be 18 inches away with the speaker and you can create curated sessions that give people more intimacy with that speaker. You know, I I work a lot with my clients on their ticketing packages and selling an upgraded ticket that allows for hot seats with the speaker or allows for a lunch and learn with the speaker and things like that. Um, You know, a lot of people are doing wow boxes now where you receive a package before the event happens. And in that, it has different things that you utilize throughout the event. It might it might be a water bottle, a notebook, things like that. But you know, I've done door hangers that say, you know, do not disturb, making millions in here, or little, you know, like um, what do you what do you call those things? Like the um, kind of like a photo booth prop, but it has little emojis on it, so that when people are behind the screen and they hear something they love, they can like hold that up. Um, and something else that I have found, you know, you mentioned when you walk into a room, are you playing upbeat music to get people talking or what are you doing to create that initial moment? And I think it's really, there's, there's two steps. One, it's setting the stage long before the event happens. So like all of my events, we send out a no before you go email, or some of them we do a live webinar or go live in their community. And it's, you know, how do you show up? How are you going to get the most? Here's the expectations for the video. Here's the expectations for the audio. Here's when we're going to have breaks. Make sure just level, just the common things that you would, you know, before an event, you might get a packing list, transition that into the virtual space. And right then and there, before the event even begins, people feel that it's a different type of event because they didn't just get their registration confirmation. And then the morning of click here to log in. So that's setting the stage before, no pun intended, before you even get there or log in. But then what I found works really well is, you know, you can do this through Zoom breakouts or there's a lot of other third-party technologies that allow you to break into smaller groups and doing something at the beginning of the event that doesn't even necessarily relate to the event. So one of my favorite things to do is a scavenger hunt. You get everybody in, you welcome them, you do your initial state of the union or whatever it may be. And then you're like, we're going to go ahead and break into smaller groups. And in those smaller groups, you give really clear, I mean, 
facilitation is something that is very, very important. And I think a lot of people are missing the mark on that. They're not thinking about, they're so busy planning the event. They get to the event. They're not thinking about the actual delivery of it. They have their agenda and that's the extent of it. But really to your point, how do you keep them captivated? How do you prevent them from looking at their second screen and swiping and answering emails? And then before you know it, the event's over and they didn't even realize that the event had ended and they just had dead air on their other computer screen. Um, so the, the scavenger hunt is, okay, guys, we're going to give you 45 seconds, whatever room you're in, find something that makes you happy, find something that you've been meaning to get rid of and find something that inspires you or whatever, you know, whatever three things they are. And that does a couple of things. One, it makes everybody instantly get up and change state. You're playing music throughout that state change is a huge, huge component of keeping people engaged. And even if that's a matter of, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but when I say state change, you know, the common things are you'll play music between a break or, you know, you'll have maybe a yoga break or something like that. But even when you're sitting here and you're like, all right, you guys are going to write this down. You're going to want to write this down. Take your pen, wave it in front of your camera. Something as simple as that, it brings people back to being in the moment and being present. And so the same thing happens when you're doing the scavenger hunt, you're getting them up, you're giving them an activity. And then you give everybody, you know, in their smaller group, 30, 45 seconds to share and show why they chose those objects and what that means to them. Then you come back and you do some collective group, you know, group report out or group shares outside of that. But right then and there, you've created community. Some people have become vulnerable in that space and they already feel like they're not attending that event just on their own. It does something to the psychology that, okay, there are other people watching this with me besides just seeing little squares on the screen. So that's one of those things that, you know, comes down to intentionality and really creating an experience. Um, you know, I've had, I've, I've done others where we do a curated happy hour or wine pairings. And before, beforehand, we send out a recipe card and a, here's your ingredients and everybody's cooked dinner. And then they're sharing their, their meals and showing what they've made. And it's just, it's incorporating, finding those components of an in-person event in a creative way that you can replicate that in the virtual space. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. Well, and so I love, so I love talking events. I really, <laughs> really do. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about before we, we get too further along is um, one of the, we, so when you were, when we were talking about things that we wanted to talk about on this show, one of the things that you, you had mentioned was choosing courage over fear and mindset. And I'm, I'm assuming that that comes attached to that coaching piece of your business that you were talking about. So I want to delve a little bit into that. Why don't you, can you tell us about, about that piece of your business, what that, what that looks like, what that means to your clients? Um, how, how do you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of that honestly came down, it, it is a result of my own journey. I was in the corporate space for 15 years, making six figures, doing all of the things and yet I still wasn't happy, but it was that fear that was stopping me. Like I have a good life. I, I make good money. I can travel, you know, and it was when I made that decision that it's not enough. I'm not living up to my full potential. There's so much more inside of me. And so that is kind of where that, when I, when I wrote that to you, that's kind of where that all stemmed from, because I feel like there's so many other people 
in that space. And when I look back, it's, it's really, it was selfish of me because I wasn't living up to my full potential. And now I'm able to help my clients with these amazing events. And so a lot of it is working through their limiting beliefs as you know, they've already made the decision they're going to do an event, but then they might not want to do this piece because they're afraid how it might not work versus me shifting their mindset into this is why it's going to work. This is why we're going to do this. And this is the benefit that you're going, you and your attendees are going to receive as a part of that. Um, Because there's so much that like, we are our own worst enemies. We are our harshest critics. We compare ourselves to everybody else. And when you think about an event or really any, anything, there's always going to be people that are ahead of you. And there's always going to be people that are below you. And in most cases, your target client is exactly where you were a couple of years ago. So reminding and co- just throughout the process, there's a lot of, I think, fear and anxiety that I, that I see with a lot of my clients where they want to do it. They're hesitant. Whenever the word risk comes up was, I don't want to risk that money. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Let's revisit this. Like just the fact that you're viewing this as a risk instead of an opportunity, you're already putting out that negative energy into the universe. And I know that that to a lot of people that sounds kind of like woo woo and, and whatnot, but I've experienced that in my own life. Like what you fear you attract and what you focus on expands. So really helping to put them in that right mindset and reminding them, especially my clients, they are purpose driven. They are, they, they, they act from a service you know, with a service servant's heart. So reminding them, bringing them back to their why. And then from there, the possibilities just open up because they've tapped back into their heart and out of their brain. Yeah. Well, I I love that. And I I love the the kind of experimental nature that you're talking about, because I think that that strikes the core of, of your entrepreneurial heart, you know, th- this willingness to, to try new things and to, to pivot, to use that word again. Um, so I, 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 really cool that you're able to apply, not only are you an entrepreneur, but you're entrepreneurial in how you approach your events and how you approach working with your clients and you, you encourage them to dare. And I, I, I love that. Well, and, so, I think that, and I think I just took one more thing on that. I think that one of my biggest learnings is getting uncomfortable, being okay, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because that sure. is when the growth happens. That is where, you know, that's the evidence that you are on the right track to something bigger. And so kind of forcing, encourage, I won't say forcing, I'll say encouraging my clients to embrace that uncomfortable feeling, because if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's just because it's something you haven't done before. You might not know how you might not know all of it, but there's something deeper in that that's going to come out and make it better. And then you're not uncomfortable the next time. And it just becomes rep, you know, you just repeat the process. And over time, what you're accomplishing becomes bigger and bigger and bigger because you keep, you continue. I mean, I feel that I live in it, in an uncomfortable zone constantly. Everything I'm doing is uncomfortable, but I'm doing it. And then the level of discomfort gets bigger and bigger because the things that I'm stepping into are bigger and bigger. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of a a high risk, high reward kind of situation. Exactly. Um, 
that. And I, and I would imagine that, you know, given your experience and given, you know, how, how you approach your work that more often than not, it is high reward. Um, so, so that is, that's great. And I love that you're able to help your clients achieve that and get to that level. Um, so, so I, I told you before we started that I was going to ask you a, a silly question. And I have to tell you that my silly question isn't really all that silly. And it is, in fact, very, very selfish. Um, so so I'm just going to go ahead and ask it. Um, so I am a, I know that you came from tech and, you know, that's not where your, your heart lies or where your wheelhouse is anymore. But one of the things that I love about tech events is the swag. I am a swag junkie. I just had to like clean. I had like many different branded water bottles from different events that I had been to. And so I can't even tell you how many notebooks I have with like logo. I, I will never run out of notebooks. So my question to you is this, what is the coolest piece of swag you've ever seen at an event? Cause I need ideas. Oh my gosh. Well, it's funny that you asked that because I also am a swag junkie. I even got um, a distributor's license so that I can just secure the nice. swag for my clients. Like I was so sick of having to outsource it and them spending so much money. So I get it wholesale and I just pass that on to my clients. Um, I mean, I think, you know, notebooks are great. Water bottles are great. But it, I think, again, it comes down to intentional decisions. What is your event targeting and what is something that they're really going to use? So I think the best thing that I ever received was a high quality power bank, like a really good quality power bank. Um, some of the coolest things that I've seen now, I think the favorite, my favorite thing right now are Bluetooth sunglasses. So Ooh. they tie into your phone, like, like any Bluetooth earbuds would, but they have the audio and the microphone, you know, I mean, just, just like any Bluetooth headset would, but they're sunglasses. So you can be out running, you can be driving in the car. For me, I'm on my stand up paddleboard. And I can be taking phone calls. I can be listening to podcasts. I don't have to worry about an AirPod falling out into the water. Um, and I think those are by far one of the coolest things that I've seen on the market right now, just because it's different. Not a lot of people are using them. And I mean, granted, yeah, I you know, they may or may not fit your face, but the tech and that ties into the tech side of it. The tech of it is so cool that like I wear mine all the time. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, so, so, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a little story just because this is the perfect time to do it. And, and, and it, I, I can't decide if I like this piece. It, it's not even really a swag, but I can't decide if I like it or not. So I want to get your feedback on it. So here's the deal. <laughs> Once upon a time, I received a business card from an organization and it was this like seated paper where they had put like, they had actually put seeds into it. So it had like almost like a recycled paper feel. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, like, so the, on the business card, they had written, come grow with us. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Um, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> so the point of swag is to have a reminder after that person is no longer in your face. And I was like, you know, if you actually plant this thing, which was the intent behind this business card, you were supposed to plant it. And then these plants would grow from this business card. I was like, if you actually plant it though, they don't have your information anymore. It's gone. It's vapor. It's become, you know, this pretty, pretty flower. So, so I just wanted to share that with you. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it because I can't decide how I feel about it. How do I, tell me how I feel. Okay. About I'll it. tell you how you feel. <laughs> 
So the, the, the idea behind it is great because you have this, assuming you do go and plant it, you have this thing, living, breathing thing, that is a constant reminder of your experience at that event. And with the internet, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fairly easy to go and find that person or that contact or whatever it may be. What I like even better than that are these little wooden boxes that sit on your desk. It's the exact same thing. It comes with a little thing of soil, a little, it, it's like a little circular business card that has the seeds built in, but that entire wooden box or plastic, whatever you choose it to be is branded with your company's information. And so it's that constant reminder and more likely than not, it's going to live longer because it's sitting in your office. You're going to remember to water it versus it just being outside. So that's, that's one of my other favorites, honestly, because I, I love just flowers and all of that. And depending on what your event is, you can really get creative with the messaging as well as to why that is, you know, why that's something that you're doing, but it, it does, it lives on your desk. It's a constant reminder. And that you mentioned earlier, you know, having that constant reminder. And so back in, in the tech tech days, it was, what is something that can sit on these corporate executives desks? What's something they're going to use? You know, so one was like a light up phone stand that actually charges your phone. People are going to use that when you can just set your phone right in there. It plugs into a USB outlet. It stands up so you can see the things that are coming in on your phone. Um, you know, my desk right now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I think, I mean, I think that the planter or the, the put it outside planter is good, but I think the adoption rate, the people that are going to actually open up that box and plant it is going to be much higher. Plus it's more of a visual reminder because not only do you have the plant, but you also have the logo right there in front of you. Well, and see, look at what you did there. I think you did what is just natural to you. Like it's just uh, inherent to who you are, but you just elevated that whole, that whole concept. (laughs) You just elevated it. And so, so on that note, Wendy, I am going to, to thank you for being with us here today and for sharing your wisdom. Um, I know that there are a lot of people out there who can benefit from finding ways to connect uh, virtually and through COVID and, you know, cause that's really what events are all about, but thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. yeah it was a blast. I like, I love geeking out about it. I do that. too. I do too. <laughs> well, so it, it, I also want to thank you listeners for, for sticking with us and uh, remind you that once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale.io. I uh, also want to point out, you can find us on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast or check out our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. And we'll catch you again soon. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.